This message is brought to you by Cornerstone Gospel Church in Frankston, Australia. Please let us resume and return to our passage in Isaiah 59, and we'll be reading at verse 16. The interplay of, our, of, of Isaiah, he spoke in his prophecy to his generation, to what was happening there. He spoke to those who were trusting in the one that was coming. The language turned. It wasn't just to them. It is we, we who are waiting, the remnant, those who are waiting and expecting the coming. And they were looking for the first coming. They were waiting for the Messiah. We are waiting for the same Messiah. It's not a different Messiah. Jesus is coming. Verse 16, let us read. He saw, he, he saw that there was no man. The effect of cultural Marxism is destroying and more or less has destroyed the identity, the work, the resolve, the, the, the God-given right of both place and authority, firstly in the home, but in through all levels of society. You look on the TV when they put, and I don't watch TV much at all. In fact, I don't watch news. I don't watch videos. I, don't, I really don't do anything. And it, could I say, maybe consider get rid of your TV or only use it so that it is useful for building you up in your faith? Yes, entertainment's wonderful, but boy, we can get so easily lost, can't we? Things that are not beneficial and are detrimental. Man has been subjected. Who do you see ruling countries? Who do you see ruling nations? Who do you see in high office, in administrations, in government departments? Ladies, there's no decry of who you are, but your place and what you should be doing in the role that God has given. Presently in our world, it's in utter rebellion to Genesis. God's word to the men and to women after the fall. God's words were to Satan and he, the one that we're talking about right here, will bruise your head and the saviour will bruise his heel. But he goes on to talk about the role of men and women in life, period, full stop. Husbands, that the man, it says, will, King James renders it rule over you. It is, a, it is not a good choice of word in my estimation. It is more the idea that is presented shepherd over you. The response of women today in the world due to the ideologies that have been presented is I will not have a man rule over me. And the identity of men has been destroyed. They don't know where they fit. They don't know what they're supposed to do. They don't even know if they should work. They, they become impotent and lazy and, 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 and goalless purposelessness fixates their thinking and they get lost in in gaming and 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 everything of pleasure and power and this life the things we said that we are not to love men have to be about work busy authority position protection love that which encompasses and reaches responsibilities a man has to have this attack has brought the fact there are a few real men. Men, stand up. Take your place in your home. And I tell you, don't you dare lord it over your wives and make her this, this subject that you rule over. 
The scripture in Ephesians tells us, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. A bride, precious, holy, white, pure. Men, you love your wives as Christ loved the church. In other words, get off being number one and be at the bottom. Invert everything that society is trying to make a pyramid to the pinnacle of, 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 of rulership and authority that it comes from the top. No, it comes from serving. Christ's example to the disciples at that last supper was he come and wash their feet. And it, they hadn't got a clue what he was doing. And, and Peter rambles on and says, well, wash all of me. It's not about the cleansing. You've been clean. You've, you've come to me. You're following me. It's about service. Serve one another. Serve your family. Serve your community. Men, you lead by serving. Your authority comes when you get busy and take on the incidental, the mundane, the choice tomorrow morning to get up and go to work and earn, to come home and invest in your children. Don't leave it to your wife to teach them of the things of God. Don't sit back and say, oh, Honey, I've had a busy day. You know, you, you, you just fix it. Get your hands dirty. Get busy. Serve. And in serving, the love of the family will just be the glue that holds it all together. And your wife, out of response to you, will love you and will honour you. What does men crave? Honour, respect. Just, just those simple things. That, that's all they need. We're so simple, really. We are creatures Men are so really simple. We're on or we're off. A button that throws the switch, you know, we're either activated or we're just plebs that sit on a rock. We're looking for our empty box. We just want to go and sit there. No, 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 no. Why does the scripture tell us to fill ourselves with the word, renew ourselves in the word of God? We don't pack it with nothing. We pack it with everything. The fullness of God being revealed. This is what's required. So men, so the Lord is looking. There was not a man speaking prophetically of a man that would come. Verse 16, and wondered that there was no intercessor. If there is a call that's needed by men and women today is interceding. That has been part of my heart and part of my message, even to the brethren yesterday morning. We've come at a time again where we got to pray earnestly for the people of God. Jesus, as we saw, prayed that those who would come by the, the testimony of lives concerning Jesus, he was praying for them. He's our great high priest. What has he made us? A kingdom of priests. What does a priest do? Offer up sacrifice, offer up incense, prayers, prayers to God concerning every situation, every circumstance, but certainly the lost, the hurting, the broken, those who need the Saviour that they may be awakened to their sin, awakened to their need, awakened to the brokenness. Half of them don't even know that they're busted. And they're living shells of lives. There's, there's no reality. And we have the truth and we have reality. Take it, don't draw. And there was no intercessor. Therefore, his own arm brought salvation for him. The coming of the Messiah the first time was to bring salvation, not for your benefit, for his benefit. He wants us. Do you remember the call at the Last Supper? I'm not going to drink of this vine again until I drink it anew with you. He wants it more than we do. He wants to be with us. 
There is a longing in the heart of God that His family, He's completed Himself. He doesn't need anything else, but He has created us that we may love Him. That we are, that, that koinonia, that, that fellowship, that communion would be sweet. And He wants that. He wants that with you now. He's given us a deposit of the Holy Spirit so He confirms that the kingdom of God is within us. It's not what we're going to do demonstratively or externally. We're not going to bring in the reign of Christ. We're not going to change this world to make it better and and wait for the king to say, well, now, Jesus, you've got our permission to take the throne. Kingdom now philosophy, kingdom now ideology, that we have some part to play in allowing Jesus to return. No. A hundred times no. He will come when he's ready. Are you ready? That is my message to you. Get yourself ready. Get your house in order. Get your life purified. A holiness of God is in demand here. The fire of God who is a consuming fire. The bright and burning ones, the seraphs are there seeing his immenseness, his glory, his magnificence. And God is a consuming fire. And all they can do is cover their face and cover their feet. Cry out, holy, 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 the trihagion. The three times, the thrice holy God. And we think we can come to God any old way and continue living any old way. And that's going to be good enough. No, he requires perfection. That perfection is in Jesus and he calls us to enter into because his blood makes us clean. There's no spot left. There's no wrinkle. There's no blemish. But as a life is surrendered and yielded and abandoned to him, he gets the glory from that life and he brings the change, the hardships, the difficulties, but the the stubbornness in your life of willful sin, Come to him, give it to him, confess your sin. John's, John's discourse in, 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 in 1 John, and it runs from chapter 1 into chapter 2, talks about our confession. Name the sin. If we confess, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The basis of the first part is actually salvation, coming to relationship with God. But for us, it's written actually to Christians. Why? Because he wants fellowship. Sin breaks fellowship with God. Get rid of it out of your house. The the idea of unleavened bread is they'd go through the house and there's a broom and I would clean up and find every little granule of of leaven or yeast and get rid of it out of their house because perfection is required. We don't have it. He has it all for he is perfection in every way and he cleanses and changes us. Confess our sins. He is faithful and just because he wants fellowship. Don't hold back when the spirit of the living God shows you an aspect in your life that is not right. Be honest with yourself. Be honest with God. Take God's side against yourself and make a judgment. I'm a sinner. I've sinned. God, I've wronged you. I've wronged the eternal God. And break up the fellow, fellow ground of your heart and bear your soul before him. Oh, Lord, I can't do this without you, but I know you can change me. I know you can make it right. Make me clean, make me perfect, make me like Jesus. All on the back of intercession, praying for others. If we're praying for one another, we're praying for those around us. Our lives will become pure in his sight because the the act of God is working, the power of God is working amongst us. And if we have a love towards one another, we don't want to do something that offends those we love. 
Husband and wives, do you go out and, and do everything that your wife hates? If you do, you need... Why? I love my wife. I want to make sure I do everything, not what she says, but I want to do it out of the compunction of my, the, the compulsion of my heart because I, I adore everything about her. She completes me. And this is our relationship in Christ. He fixes everything. Why not do everything he requires? Yeah. Not out of, oh, i got to tick the box and pay mental assent to these things. If I believe these things, it'll get sorted out or whatever. No, because I love him. Because he first loved me. It's a response of relationship, a response of, 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 of that koinonia, that familyness that needs to be expressed at these days. Therefore, his own arm brought salvation that day when Christ arrived on the scene. Everything changed. Our whole history impinges upon the pivotal point of Calvary when the man, the man, was placed on a Roman cross, suspended between earth and heaven at the hands of sinful men. And in the act of his redeeming expression of his nature, the love of God, the love of God. Oh, the love that drew salvation's plan. Oh, the love that drew it down to man. Oh, the mighty gulf that God did span at Calvary. He came, he died. It doesn't finish there. He was in the grave. He preached and gave gifts to men. And on the third day, in triumph, in victory, he rose a victor from the grave and has set everything in order for those who will follow him. Waiting for the next time he comes back when those things which aren't subject to his order will be. And he'll come with authority that is given to him by his father, our father, our heavenly father, all authority has been given to me, Jesus said, and he'll come and bring justice. Everything that is undone will be made perfect. He brought salvation. It was his own righteousness, perfect. His righteousness sustained him. There was no spot. There was no blemish. He offered himself to God both for himself, herein, in this act, in this work, and, and this prophecy of Isaiah prophesying ahead of time before the actual event. Herein lays the pre-Calvary certificate of a completed work. Isaiah is seeing it. Salvation's coming. Salvation is going to, be, it's going to be brought by his own hand. Salvation, remember the scripture, is of the Lord. But not only is salvation the act of cleansing and washing, salvation is a person. Jesus, the God of my salvation. God the Lord is my strength. It is the magnitude of the person of the Lord Jesus Christ who sees the degradation of our state, of this nation, of this world, as he did even back then in Isaiah's day when Isaiah puts this prophecy down on papyrus or however it was. God sees everything. Everything is recorded. Every heart of man, every perpetration against the righteous, every sinful act, nothing. And we're going to stand before him either at the Bemer seat in this, this realm of triumph, this, this place like those who have run a race, receive a wreath, a reward for running in such a way to obtain the prize. There's, there's, there's ceremony, there's, there's song and there's rejoicing. This will be our place at the Bemer seat when we come and see the triumph, his triumph. It's his seat of glory. We're just going to receive the rewards for making sure we... 
kept the course straight, followed him. Isaiah has at length unveiled the horror and the filth of Israel's perversity and adultery, the lack of separateness, the lack of integrity, the lack of holiness. But the one who comes writes everything. In one complete act, based on who he is, his righteousness, Jeremiah brings to light Christ's righteousness. Jeremiah chapter 33 and verse 14. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will perform that good thing which I have promised to the house of Israel and to the house of Judah. In those days and at that time I will cause to grow up to David a branch of righteousness. He shall execute judgment and righteousness in the earth. Has that happened yet? No. Potentially has it happened? Absolutely. Calvary stands as the pivotal mark. The, 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 the date position for everything is measured by that day. Our date is based upon, I mean, it doesn't matter which calendar you want to ascribe to, okay, there's a whole big discussion about that. But Calvary occurred and everything is set, reset because of that. In those days, Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will dwell safely And this is the name by which she will be called the Lord, our righteousness. For thus says the Lord, David shall never lack a man to sit on the throne of the house of Israel, nor shall the priests and the Levites lack a man to offer burnt offerings before me, to kindle grain offerings and to sacrifice continually. Christ offered himself a sacrifice once for all. They were still having to run through the process of Moses' law to meet a need that was perceived because it didn't deal with sin, it didn't finish it. They had to come back year by year, the atoning work that the priest would come into the holy place once per year and he would do it with, oh, I've got to confess everything, I've got to make sure it's all here. And he would do it again next year and he would offer and the blood would be sprinkled on the mercy seat. But it was just an act for them. For so many it became ritualism. Yeah, it's dealt with. It became so lapsidaisical and the importance of what was being carried out. But when Christ himself came, blessed be it. The time of justice and reckoning is at hand. We are entering to that time where I believe the church at any time could be taken. There are so many things that are pointing to Israel's coming to the fore in the timing of God. The prophecies that are being fulfilled are amazing. That the nation even exists. That people, their ethnicity has not been destroyed over the centuries, but are coming back and living in the land. All of this prophesied. The second coming will right every wrong against that nation. So what about us? What about today? Trying to bring a conclusion. There's so much to unpack. There's just, just be here forever. But let me just come to a section that allows us to investigate our hearts and souls and Evaluate the time frame in a different light. Turn with me, please, to the book of Luke 17. Luke 17. We've heard these verses quoted. Luke 17 and verse 26. And as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be also in the days of the Son of Man. They ate, they drank, they married wives. They were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark. And the flood came and destroyed them all. Verse 28, Likewise, as it was also in the days of Lot, 
They ate, they drank, they brought, they sold, they planted, they built. And but, but on the day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Here is the condition of the world in times where God's judgment came. What was the state of the righteous? We have these two representatives, Noah, and we have Lot. Both the stories, the information, and not stories, it's the wrong word to say. Both of these historical events that took place, that are recorded for us, bring to light that we don't learn, we don't follow, our hearts are not trustworthy. But what does the society want? They want people's hearts to be involved. They want emotion. They want to drive everything by what the individual or the collective. It's, it's a bit of a tie-up, isn't it? It's a bit of a toss-up. Is it the individual or is it the collective or the, 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 the government or the, the village, they term it, actually, is the, is the word they use very regularly? Progressivism, progressiveness. There's, all of that is part of this cultural Marxism. All of these things have happened and will happen again. But here we have two different characters. What does Noah do? Who was saved with Noah? His family. Who was saved with Lot? Only two daughters, not even his wife. Do you see here even in... This is a mind-blowing thought that my wife and I talked and she brought this information to my remembrance. It was, it's, it's quite amazing. Noah prepared for judgment. Lot ran from judgment. Consider Noah, he built an ark. He had no idea that it was going to even float. 120 years. But he invested in his family. He invested in those that were going to come with him. The world denied who and what God had said. They knew that God had spoken. They denied him. They were still living. If you go back through the genealogies and the age lengths that different patriarchs were living. The antediluvians. Those before the flood. They overlapped. They knew that God had spoken. They denied him. They rejected truth. Exactly what we did. Noah prepared for judgment. In Lot's life, what happened? Why did Lot go to a city that was known to be immoral? Where was his heart? What was he? Uh, but it's talked about Lot, how he vexed his righteous soul from day to day. New Testament brings that to light. He recognized that there was wickedness and it, uh, it really struggled with him. But at the end result, he wasn't preparing for judgment and he had to run from it. He had to flee from it. And his family were just a mess. In the act where the men came to the door and were pushing it down, Lot's resolve was to give an immoral answer to a moral question. Here have my daughters. They haven't known a man. It's mind-blowing. He was running from judgment. He, what, the reality, where was the real trust? Though it was said of him, it vexed his soul and he was a righteous man. The individual can be righteous, but how your life affects those around you is so important. So you better get your life sorted out because you are a volume of the book that people are reading. Are they reading Christ? Noah saw the reality and he prepared for judgment. Where is the other account that, I, that we can reference to this? Turn with me, please, to Matthew chapter 25. And this is a parable. Remember, a parable gives biblical truth, but you cannot go to the extreme of the pictures it presents. This is the virgins, ten virgins, five wise, five foolish. And they go in with the bridegroom because it's all the picture of the Jewish ceremony of marriage. Don't take it to far extremes. You can't unravel it and, it and it link up with every 
conceivable biblical doctrine. Just keep it into the truth that it is. It's a parable. It's a picture to bring a teaching, a biblical teaching, not every aspect. Because realistically, virgins will become a bride, but it's not the bride of this bridegroom that just came. So it all unravels if you don't look at it in the, in the light that it is, in the picture that's just presented. It's just the celebration. It's the marriage. And the bridegroom has gone away. Let's read at verse 1. Then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Now five of them were wise and five were foolish. Those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with the lamps. But while the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight a cry was heard, Behold, the bridegroom is coming. Go out and meet him. Then all the virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, No, lest... There should not be enough for us and you, but go rather to those who sell and buy for yourselves. Now while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said to them, Assuredly, I say to you, I do not know you. Watch therefore. For you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. Are you preparing for the judgment for the church? The judgment is Christ's rapture. Yes, there's opportunity possibly after rapture. I don't want to get into explaining all that. That's not my purpose. It's about what you're doing now. It's how you're living now. Are you following Jesus today? Are we like Noah who's prepared to build and invest and to give and to serve and to love and show that which Christ shed his blood for. Or we are like Lot, who knows the, the day and the hour is evil, but really does nothing, nothing of eternal value and offers an immoral answer to a moral question. He was not prepared for the judgment. Just like these virgins, five were wise. They had prepared. There was oil in their lamps. The Holy Spirit was working with them. We can see all the typology with all that. But they were working and they had, they had already bought oil. What does the counsel of Isaiah 55 say? Come buy of me, you who hunger and thirst. I counsel you to buy of me gold. I counsel of you. He talks in, uh, Jesus talks in, in Revelation. In Revelation, I'm talking about... Um, the, the, the seventh church, Laodicea, I counsel you to buy of me gold tested by fire. Find out and prove Christ now before it's too late. Get your lives ready. He's coming. Coming. Coming for a perfect, spotless, pure, chaste bride. It's time to get serious about true biblical Christianity. It's time to love Jesus as he loved us. And gave himself. It's time to prepare. When the enemy comes, the Spirit of the Lord will be there. Turn with me just to that passage and I'll close with the explanation of the, how I see this passage. The, 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 the New American Standard Bible renders uh, verse 19 of Isaiah 59. So they will fear the name of the Lord from the west. Look at that. When Christ will come, they will fear him. 
the West and all its attitude of power and resolve, their military might, their academic prowess, their economic and fiscal policies that will be so uh, far-reaching and establish their dominion over the earth. Oh, what rubbish. They're in fear now. They have got no answer. So they will fear the name of the Lord from the West and his glory from the rising of the sun, for he will come like a rushing stream which the wind of the Lord drives. That's the translation of the Nazbi, which is more true to the original. Let me read that again. Verse 19. So they will fear the name of the Lord from the west and his glory from the rising of the sun. When Christ comes, every eye will see him. His majesty and power and authority will be indisputable. For he will come like a rushing stream which the wind of the Lord drives. Momentarily, suddenly, immediately. Imminency. Are you ready? Have you prepared? Are you ready? Lord, I pray in Jesus' name that your glory and your love and light would be so seen that the truth of your gospel would penetrate our hard hearts. And Lord, as we submit ourselves to you, that we would be broken by the Spirit of God, that your word would penetrate and cause the change that is required, cause the light and the life of Christ to spring up. Lord, that we would be those trees planted by the living water. You are that source of living water that we would draw from you and grow where we are, where we've been planted here in this ecclesia, this church, this body of believers, these called out ones. Make us fit, Lord, to bear fruit, Lord, fruit of righteousness, fruit of character, that the name of Jesus will be honoured and glorified. All for your glory, Lord. Will not the lamb that was slain receive the reward of his suffering? I pray that's the cry of every heart that our lives are so lived, consecrated, broken, yielded to him that he may change us and the glory of God will be made manifest now and for eternity. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this message. You're welcome to duplicate this message in its entirety for non-profit purposes. For more information and resources, visit cgc.org.au.